Amen. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, we will be in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11. And you say, well, I thought this week was supposed to be when that uh, 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 Mr. Clean-headed uh, intern guy would be sharing the message. And that is true. Ben, our intern, was going to share. Uh, and just because of life and other things, uh, many of you have been praying for him and Annie. Annie um, uh, lost her, her uh, grandmother this last week. And so just by life and way, we're going to be, I'm preaching this week, Ben next week, Nelson in a couple weeks, and Christmas Day I'll be preaching as well. So Ben, we look forward to next week. So you are skipping. We preach the Bible verse by verse here at Tower View Baptist Church, but we're actually going to skip verses 13 through 16. Is that okay? And we're going to pick it up in verse 17. So we're a little out of sorts and out of order, but it's a good out of sorts and out of order because it continues on Abraham and where he was last week. And so if you're joining us for the first time, it's been a minute. We've been in the study of Hebrews now since the beginning of the year. We anticipate being done uh, in March of next year, and that will be here quicker than you think it is, just about three months away. If you're able to stand this morning, would you join me in standing? We're going to read verses 17 through 19. Today's sermon title is the study of Hebrews greater than, greater than any test, greater than any test. This is God's word. We share it every week. We want to preach it as it is, not what I say, what I think, what uh, hobby horses I can do on, but what God's word says. That's what we're here to do. So may I get out of the way. May we hear what God has to say. It says in verse 17, there's that calling card of Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he had received the promises, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did not receive, or excuse me, he did receive him back. This is a story of Abraham and Isaac, and once we get in the sermon, you're going to hold your spot in Hebrews 11 and go to Genesis 22 in a minute, but I want you to know the story of God working through Isaac, you know that story well, how God used him in the school of the testing of his faith. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, your faith will be tested, or it really is no faith at all, is it? Will you bow your heads with me? Let's pray together, and we'll get into the word as we study. Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach the word, to hear the word, to study the word, to sing the word, to pray the word, to pray it goes forth, to hear it uh, just exalted, Lord. We don't worship the Bible, but Father, we worship you who the Bible describes, even in, as some have said, in baby talk to us, Lord, because it's so much the more than we can comprehend. And Father, in heaven someday that we will chase glory after glory of just who you are, but never exhaust any part of who you are, Lord. What an amazing God you are. Father, you are holy, 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 yet you came and condescended and lived among us and dwelt and tabernacled among us so we might know you. Father, as Abraham, it shows us a picture of that today in the story, the historical account of his son Isaac and the sacrifice he was called to make. Lord, would you remind us of what Christmas is every day for us, the coming of Christ, but not just ending there that it is finished on the cross, that your son has risen, and he is coming again indeed. Lord, we love you. Give us wisdom now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, Brother Brian did not know this, but um, 
uh, the opening illustration I have for you, Brian, and we did not sing this either, but it's a great song as we go through, and we've sung it here before. But there is a song that is, was written by a man, na man named William Cowper, or Cooper, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. It's called God Moves in Mysterious Ways. It was written back in the 1700s, and, and people say that sometimes, God's ways are mysterious. And it's kind of hard to see on the screen, but I'll read it for you. He said, quote, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in his dark and hidden minds, with never failing skill, he fashions all his bright designs and works his sovereign will. In very simple language, it basically means God is in control, God has a plan, God's got this, but oh, by the way, you might be going through some hard times as you get there. But no, he's got this. And that's why we often say, people often say this, God reserves the right to disrupt our lives anytime he so pleases. Do you believe that? Because sometimes we don't want to pray for two things. Lord, don't give me more patience because I know what that means. And especially don't give me trials, Lord, because I really know what that means. But the fact of the matter is, and this hymn delightly says it well, is that God never needs permission from us or gives us advance warning when things are going to happen. God simply chooses to act, and he does so, and he interrupts our peaceful existence here on this earth, or our hunky-doriness in one way. The point is, it's a divine test. It's a test as a result of being in the school of faith. If you are a Christian, your faith is going to be tested. If your faith has never been tested, then we could say probably at some point you may not truly be a Christian. To validate your genuineness, to validate the truthfulness of your faith, God gives you unscheduled, unannounced quizzes. And if you're like me, and you like to be planning and in control when you were a student, whether at what elementary or at high school or college or professional degree, and they plopped a pop quiz for you, you started sweating bullets because you had no idea what they were. I haven't read that yet. I don't know what that is. But God often brings these spiritual tests with physical realities that involve major upheaval. Maybe it's a loss of a job. Maybe it's a death in the family a break of a relationship, a loss of health, a loss of wealth, and the list goes on. But the purpose is designed by God to reveal truly what your faith is all about. And Abraham found that. It's like a spiritual checkup, a diagnosis to see how you're applying your faith in this world. And none of us are allowed to skip these exams. None of us can have perfect attendance at church and play one of those get-out-of-the-trial-free cards that sometimes schools give when tests come up. All enrolled in the school of faith are required to take the test of faith. This is why Psalm says this, and it will be on the screen, that our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. But Christian, remember, whatever he pleases is ultimately for your good and for his glory. Abraham was not wavering in his faith. It could be argued that Abraham was the most faithful person. He was called in Genesis 11 out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees. We saw that last week. He was a self-reliant man. But yet Galatians 3.8 said the gospel had been preached to him. And now, having received the truth, not knowing everything, but trusting God for forgiveness, he's now enrolled in the school of faith. And so the questions that we must ask today is how does God preserve our faith by threatening its existence through trials? And do you carry with you a need for grace? I mean, do you see that in your trials that grace is a tool that God is using to shape you to be more like him? And do you endure those trials with joy? Or do you stick your, your foot in the, the, the proverbial mud and just say, God, you're going to have to pull me out of here because I'm not moving. Because I like where I'm at. 
The big idea today is simply this. It's on your bulletin. Trials are God's unannounced tests to see how we're doing in the school of faith. And Christian, as your pastor, one of the pastors, I want to remind you that this is what God will do in your life. If you are a Christian enrolled in the school of faith, there will be exams of your faith designed by God, unannounced, unaware to you, and they will suddenly come. But they come from a good, loving, gracious God who has your best interest at heart to build and deepen your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And so maybe you feel like you're in final exam week this week. It's almost that time of year, isn't it, for people in college and high school and whatever, But maybe the test has already been passed out by God, and you're in the midst of that. But I want to remind you that God's grace is enough to sustain you by his spirit. No matter whatever you are facing, no matter what trial you're undergoing, God's grace is enough. And so this morning, we're going to see how that was fleshed out in Abraham's life. We're going to see Abraham's test, what he was tested for, his trust, how God saw him through it, and also Abraham's triumph. And so with that, I want to just put a parenthesis, and Ben will preach on this next week. I've heard his sort of big idea. We kind of fleshed that out the other day. He's, he's on the right. He'll be fine. He'll preach the lights out, I know. But the, if you look at verses 13 through 16 quickly, and we, we won't read those, but you'll notice those verses, if you scan with your eyes quickly in verses 13 through 16, you'll notice there's really no name mentioned. And basically what Ben is preaching on next week is just some general promises and truths about people who have faith. But after all that, he gets right back in to the stage where Abraham is front and center. And we will be turning to Genesis 22 in a second. But God brought the most severe test to Abraham one could ever be asked. Abraham, offer your son, your only son, the son you love, and kill him for me. But God, he's the son of promise. Why would you ask me to do this? And may these tests, like they did Abraham, drive us to trust him all the more, for the triumph of God is greater than anything in our lives. With that, if you will turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, hold your spot in Hebrews 11, Genesis chapter 22, if you'll turn over there as we make our way through what test Abraham had. That is number one, Abraham's test, Abraham's test. In in, in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested... Well, as we get through to Genesis 22, you will see what test that is. Abraham has been a believer now for many years. You know that he was blessed through his, his uh, faith the, to have the promised son Isaac. It was not through Ishmael. But one thing we know is that all faith will be tested. And all faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. All faith is tested by, by God from time to time. And so it is with your faith. And so what happens here? God is going to choose the day, the exam, and the way that he's going to test Abraham. And he chooses the parameters of the test. And it's going to be painful. It's going to be dramatic. And God is going to tell him to give up his son. This is no small test. But why this test? Why? Because he wants to see, first and foremost, does Abraham love his son more than he loves God? Could that not be said about our lives? Christian, do you love fill-in-the-blank Maybe it's the red and yellow that's plastered all over me today and the season that they may or may not have. Maybe it's a a grandson or a granddaughter, a job, a hobby. Maybe it's just yourself. But the point is, is that God is going to put a finger on a live nerve in his life. And if you've ever had that happen before, you can already feel yourself shrieking inside. God is going to get it where it hurts. The point is, did he love God more 
most and above all things. Because Jesus said it this way, Matthew 10, 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And that's why God reminds us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So Genesis 22, notice verse 1. Remember here that Romans tells us that Genesis and all the Old Testament is written for our encouragement. It says, after these things, Genesis 22, 1, God tested Abraham. Who did the testing? God did the testing. You got to know here that Isaac, his son, is about 20 years old. There's debate whether he was a younger man or older man. He's probably about college-ish age. He's probably around late high school plus two years, give or take. But the point is, is that you never outgrow your need to be tested. Abraham is probably about 100 plus years at this point. He's getting really old. And it says, it says in verse 1 of Genesis 22, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Verse 2, he said, take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. You notice that emphasis, don't you? He says, the son whom you love. If you could ever go to Abraham's heart, this is what it is. That is also repeated in verses 12 and 16. God is showing him there is a love for his son as every father should have. But he has to go a little bit deeper. Notice the only son. Doesn't this point to something bigger here? I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Don't you hate when people do that? They go and see the movie you want to see and they tell you all about it and they never say spoiler alert. Close your ears if you don't want to hear the ending. Well, here's the ending. This is a picture of what God is going to eventually do on the cross of Jesus, with Jesus Christ. God is going to take the, the, the knife that doesn't go into Isaac and slay his own son. But we'll get there as we go through. He says the son. This isn't Ishmael. This isn't the son born by a crooked way. This is the only son that Abraham could put trust in God for and that he provided. And so if you're Abraham, you could just simply say, God, I'm not listening. I don't want to hear anymore. But what does Abraham say? He says, here I am. Take your son, your only son. And notice what verse 3 says. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Based on that, we're assuming this was sometime during the evening, maybe overnight, maybe in a vision. We don't know. But Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey. Look, it was probably easier for Abraham in this test to kill himself than it was to consider killing his own son, to put it so dramatically. There is no explanation given, though, by God. Did you notice that? What we have written here, what Moses records for us, it just says this is what you're to do. So Abraham went. And you notice there he, he's going to make for himself a burnt offering. Abraham knows what this means, but yet he still goes. Can I ask you a question? When God says do, when you hear the word do and you know what to do, do you go right away or do you hem haul around it? Because partial obedience is, is full disobedience. And what Abraham does here is he goes and he goes and he goes and he goes. And it's a reminder to us from James 1, 2, and 3 that James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And Amy, if you want to put this up, the greatest test that you'll have is simply following Jesus Christ, taking God at his word. There is no greater adventure than following Jesus Christ. We don't have to know where or how or why he's calling us to a certain place. All we really need to know is who, and that is him, and that is enough. We don't need to know why, we need to know who. And before Abraham starts on his journey, he doesn't question God. He doesn't uh, call a committee together. He doesn't call for a committee on committees to explore the question. 
He doesn't take a special called meeting. He doesn't go to prayer group. He just simply goes. He just simply obeys God, even in the midst of his test. And for some of us, we need to be reminded that whatever God's calling us to, if we know him, that is enough to get us through. I don't mean that patly to any situation that you're facing, but he has never failed me. He's always wise. He's good. He's never mismanaged my life once. Has he, has he done that to you? Has he ever stepped out of his plan? God has infinite power to remove in and all that will hinder his plan for my life. Your road is going to feel like the roads in Missouri are by March of each year. It's going to be a little bumpy at times, and you're going to hit potholes, and you're going to have to recalibrate your, 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 your faith vehicle as it is. But by God's grace, he will get you to your destination. And for Abraham, this test was something that he needed to be reminded. It was not in his strength or his planning. It was in taking God simply at his word. Can I apply this to our church for a moment? This is why we're not gimmicky here at this church. This is why we don't bait and switch people. The word of God is enough for us to take God at his word. How does God build the church? He builds it by the preaching, teaching, living out, and simply loving the God of the word. And that's how we make disciples. We don't need a glassy entertainment or a carnal flesh focused program. If you're visiting with us, we don't have a lot of programs here, but we want to be relationship driven and gospel centered because the more you know people, the more you get to know godly people, the more you're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So Genesis 22, this is all we are told about Abraham is go, put him on the altar, put a knife to his cavity and burn him up. Whew, that sounds simple, doesn't it? Well, let's see what happens. Flip back, hold your spot there in Genesis 22. We flip back to Hebrews 11. I want to show you how the, the writer of Hebrews interprets this. He goes back in chapter 11 and he says to him, he says, God tested him, but he also says these words. He says, not only did God test him, but how did he test him? The second part of verse 17, he says, and he tested him and offered up Isaac. And he had received the promises, was in the act of offering his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, your offspring will be named. And you notice that offered up. Abraham set out to do this without any prayer, explanation, or anything else. Through Isaac. It was not through Ishmael, it was through Isaac. He knows all these things. And that's why whatever God calls you to, and this is the second point, this is Abraham's trust. Number two, Abraham's trust. Whatever God gives to you, he may call back at any moment. Remember when Job lost everything in his life in Job chapter one? Do you remember this? One messenger came here, one messenger came here, another one came. All your kids are dead, all your land is gone, but your wife is still here. But, but really everything else, Abraham, that you've known is gone, or Job is gone. And what was his response? Blessed be the Lord, the name of the Lord, for the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Taketh away. Look, there may be some things in your life before we turn back to Genesis 22. Whatever God has given to you by his grace that he may call back someday. You are simply a steward and I am simply a steward of the gifts and talents, relationships and people. Notice again, will you turn back to Genesis chapter 22? Notice again in verse 3 that Abraham did not try to filibuster. He did not try and get up and talk all night like a politician on Washington, D.C.'s Capitol Hill. He did not halt before his decision. He did not question. He rose early. His obedience was without delay. He went ahead. And verse 4 of chapter 22 says what he did next. 
It says, he took his young men with him, verse 3, excuse me, his son Isaac. He cut the wood. He went to the burnt offering. He rose. He went to the place which God had told him. And verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. 2,000 years later, that same place that Abraham saw, the place that God told him to sacrifice his son Isaac, was the same place that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would be sacrificed for you and for me. God doesn't spare one detail in any trial of anyone's life. It always has a purpose. In Genesis 22, verse 5, Abraham asked for a little bit of help. Then Abraham said to the young men, Abraham's like 120 at this point. Everyone's a young man to him, isn't aren't they? Everyone looks about the same. They're all just young. And he's at, he says he needs help carrying the wood up. Do you notice that? Abraham said his young men stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. Notice there's no whining here. Notice there's no uh, whimpering. There's no God. Do, God, do you really know what you're doing? He just goes. Abraham said yes to God. And I will remind you that he's not speaking out of both sides of his mouth. I'm sure, humanly speaking, there was some trepidation in him. There was some worry in him. But his ultimate trust was in God that God will provide a sacrifice. Partial obedience is disobedience. All Abraham knows is this. God said, go offer your son. Go kill him. And people will come through somehow. He doesn't know what will happen, but both will come back down from the mountain. He's confident of. And notice verse, 20, or verse 6 of chapter 22. Abraham took the wood off the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Can you just picture this for a second? Isaac is 20 years old, guys, roughly. I'm thinking of 20-year-old guys like, if, men, if you are built and buff, if you could go back to a stage of your life of physicality, it might be those years. Because you could lift all day and not be sore. You could bound off buildings and not break a leg. I mean, you know those stages of life. Some of you guys who are older are smiling because you know. Uh, so, some of us, we just we, we wish we could go back. But Abraham says, Isaac, get on there. And look at verse 7. As any young man would when he's starting to be strapped down with wood around him. And all these things happening, verse 7, it says, And Isaac said to his father, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. I'd be a little up, uptight too if you started tying me down. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac gets it. Isaac knows there's no animal sacrifice. And he's starting to realize, I might be the sacrifice here. But notice what it said. In verse 9, verse 8, Abraham said to him, God will provide a sacrifice. God will provide a burnt offering, a lamb for an offering, my son. So they both off and went together. What a trust Abraham had in God and what a trust his son Saul of that faith in God. So he trusted in his father. And in verse 9, it says, when they came to the place, notice it's the place that God told him. It, geography is very important to God. It matters not just to God what you do, but it matters where you do it. And you see here, God had a place for his will to be carried out. And verse 9 says, when they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and in the wood in order and bound up Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. You notice we see no protesting from Isaac. We see no protesting from Abraham, but I want you to notice the verbs. Look back at your Bible if you have it. Note the verbs here. He built, he arranged, he bound, he laid out, he stretched, and now he's getting ready in verse 10 
He reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. You note here the active faith of Abraham. In his trust, it was active faith. Christian, when God has put you in the school of faith and you are going through a hard time, a difficult time, it is not a time to be passive with your faith. It's not a time to give up the reading, the praying of the word. Do you know when most people drop out of church? It's when the going gets tough. When their faith is challenged. When things at church are more difficult perhaps than they have been. But didn't Jesus predict this? He told us in the, in the story of the, of, the, of, the, of the soils that some seed would flourish for a season. But when the hard times came, what happened to that? It withered away. Because the trials were too much. But I want you to know that one foot in front of the other is how he did it. Abraham stepped out in faith. Amy, if you want to go ahead and put up the, the, the next verbiage there. I want to remind you once again that whatever God has given you by grace, apart from salvation, because we cannot lose our salvation, you need to hold with an open hand. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Your kids? Your spouse, your job, your health, your stuff, your more stuff, the other stuff that you're supposed to take to the uh, thrift store like two years ago stuff. You know what I mean? Your traditions, <laughs> 10 years ago, yes. Can we get a witness, Brother Richard? Amen. Thank you. Whatever it is in this life, you own only by way of management in God's economy. It's not just that God is just going to take it away to be a mean guy. God is not a cosmic killjoy, to use an atheist words. God is a God for your joy. He wants you to be joyful. He wants you to be happy in the sense of biblical, God-centered happiness. He wants you to experience peace and love and all the fruits of the Spirit. But it takes reminding yourself that nothing in your life, including your own life, is really in your hands. So what do we do? We praise God that at any moment he may call it back. It's okay to be sorrowful. It's okay to, to, to lament, especially in relation to people that God may call home or away. But at the end of the day, Abraham's trust was not in the things he had. His trust was in the God that would provide. Church, I know in the last three years, can you believe as we reflected on this, can you believe in the last uh, it's basically been two years and roughly about 10 months since we were in lockdown. Isn't that crazy? And we've lost a lot of people in our church physically, big name people that served in ways and, and behind the scenes people. We've lost a lot of people physically to death. We've lost a lot of people who have literally walked away from the faith. We've lost people. And friends, it is a reminder to us that we hold our Christian faith with an open hand. Our call is simply to be faithful, to trust God, to love people, to make disciples, and to go to heaven when we die, and to spread the word as we go. That's it. It's a reminder as parents and grandparents that we can't control our kids as much as we want them to come to know Jesus Christ. That is in their hands. And Abraham's reminder to us is that God is a good and gracious God, but we have to have a willingness to give back to God what we received. I don't know what that is for you today. But is your trust in what you have greater than the trust and love you have for the God who is the God of all gods? 
And let me tell you this, Abraham didn't say, oh, yeah, God, I give you 80%, but I'm going to hold back 20. He was all in 100%. All cards and chips on the table were put on the spot. So what happens to him? He was tested. He was a trial. But I want you to hold your spot in Genesis 22. Go back to Hebrews 11. I want you to see the final point here, that there was Abraham's triumph. Abraham's triumph, verse 19 of Hebrews 11. So what happens? You know the end of the story, but, but what is the reflection here from the, the writer of the Hebrews on this passage? And this is what he says. He says Abraham was tested. He, he, he was a trial. But I want you to see verse 19. He says, he, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him. That's who? Isaac from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. What does that mean? Hold your spot there. Go back to Genesis 22. What is he saying here? He's reminding us that faith honors God and God honors faith. In Hebrews 11, it said he considered. That word in the Greek, considers, is like an accounting term. We have some accountants in our church. It's a bookkeeping term. It's in a logarithm. It's, it, it, it means to rightly add up something to get the proper sum. In other words, when Abraham took that knife in Genesis 22.10 and got ready to slay his son, he had considered, he had calculated, he had planned out everything that whatever God has for me is greater than the loss of my son. Whatever heavenly rewards I receive are greater than whatever earthly things I get to keep in this life. And Abraham came to the right conclusion. Look at verse 10. He says, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Oh, how many times have we said this, Brother Willie, in the last several weeks? D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Praise God for the butts of the Bible. Here's verse 11. Genesis 22, 11. Every parent in the audience says, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said once again, repeating what he said in verse 1, Here am I. Now, I want to take a moment and tell you who this angel of the Lord is. Is this Gabriel? Is this, is this, is this one of the, the fancy angels that we don't know the name of? No. The word angel of the Lord has a specific meaning in the Old Testament, especially in Genesis. The angel of the Lord here, I would submit to you, is the Son of God, the Son of Man, the pre-incarnate version of Jesus himself before the virgin birth. How do we know this? Well, look at verse 12. He says, here I am, and he, who's the he? It's the angel of the Lord. Verse 12 said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, the son whom you love from me. Who's the from me here? Are you connecting the dots? He's not talking to some angel. He is talking to this. The verse 12 of fear God and, and, and hold him not from me is the angel of the Lord in verse 11. Angel in the Greek simply means messenger. Jesus was the commissioned son of the father to carry out his will. And when Abraham says, here I am, and he pulls it back, he, what he's basically saying is, God, I now fear you. I trust you. I see what tests you've given me. Please don't take my son. And he doesn't. It was God himself in the pre-incarnate form of Christ coming down to assure Abraham symbolically that that knife that you didn't kill Isaac with, guess what? That knife is someday going to come and take my own life. 
It's as if God the Father, if you were to see some Hollywood movie of this, took the knife in one scene from the Old Testament, and they fast forward to the cross, and God the Father plunges it into his son. John 19.30. Arguably, Pastor Nelson's favorite verse, because I hear him quoted all the time in a good way. Jesus said to them, it is finished. God called him to the place. He gave him everything. And Abraham passed the test. His triumph was in that he said, God, whatever it takes. And he's worshiping as he goes up. And look at verse 13 of Genesis 22. Verse 13 tells us that as Abraham did this, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh, as it is said today on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Abraham's test of faith was physically to see whether he was going to trust God, love God more than his son. But it also was a test, a symbolic test to point forward that he would trust to God even if he didn't know all the, the, the knowns in the unknown world. This is why God provides for us. And Amy, if you want to put up the last little piece here. And there are two lines to that, if you would. The righteousness God requires, God provides. The faith God requires, God provides. Just as Abraham was given a ram to take the place of his son, so you were given a substitute to take the place of the sin, death, you should have died. Hebrews eleven nineteen tells us that, 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 that Abraham believed that he would receive him back figuratively. And what he's talking about is that Isaac would be brought back from the dead. But even more so, it was a symbol, Abraham believed, to what was coming in a once and for all sacrifice down the road. Did Abraham know his name would be Jesus? No. Did Abraham know the date and the time? No. But he saw through types and shadows, even with the very test of his faith, that one day God would no longer require animals, but he would require a death of a divine one. And that divine one's name is Jesus. It's almost as if Jesus is standing, if you're a theater person, and everyone is on stage, and Jesus is almost off there, uh, just off the uh, stage behind the curtain, ready to come on. He's born of a virgin. He's born of a miraculous birth, just like Isaac. Jesus was deeply loved of God the Father, just like Isaac was loved by his father. It was said of Jesus at his baptism uh, by the Father, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well. Please follow him. The greater son of Abraham when the wood was placed to the soldiers 2,000 years later is, is that Jesus would carry with Simon of Cyrene that cross of that guilty, blood-driven hill called Calvary. And he would die in the same place where Isaac was to be sacrificed. Oh, what faith it took for Abraham not only to sacrifice his own son, but by faith to trust that God would one day send his only son the divine son of God, the God-man, to die for our sins. Abraham had the gospel of Jesus Christ preached at him loud and clear. But I want to remind you, if you are saved, if you're a Christian here today, you are saved because God gave you the sacrifice and God gave you the faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, By grace we're saved through faith, this is not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by our works, lest any man should boast. What is the point of all this? The point of all this is that whatever test you're facing today, if God can provide for Abraham in that moment, he can provide for your salvation once and for all. What in the world do you have anything to worry about in this life 
He's got you. He will hold you. He will sustain you. Please don't let prosperity teachers take those truths to the max where they don't belong. You know, sometimes even Joel, what is that old saying? Even a blind squirrel can sometimes get a nut or something like that. Even prosperity preachers who we pray come to know the knowledge of Jesus Christ can get it right sometimes. God does love you. He does care for you. He does all those things. But he does it on the basis and merits of his son. As the father loves the son, so the father loves you. You are secure today because the son is secure in the father. So as we close, I just want to remind you, if you're not a Christian here today, if you're not a Christian, this sounds crazy. You believe in a God that would ask his person to sacrifice his son? Yeah, we do. Because we know that ultimately that was a picture of the greater sacrifice that we all require. It sounds nonsensical. But you know what? When you live by faith and you're tested in the school of faith, it's not always going to look sensible. It's going to look weird sometimes. But if you're following what God asks you to do in the Bible by faith, Christian, you're going to be right where you need to be. Church, who are staying afterwards for the vote of the budget, we're going to ask you by faith to trust the work of the committee, the leaders, and prayerfully consider the budget for next year. That's a faith step. As the trees get knocked down behind us, we hear cracking of trees in the woods behind us as they start building whatever they're building in the land back there. We're going to ask for your trust that our church is staying where it's at. We're going to be a light to this neighborhood even when times when we don't see it. Our church is going to go through times of testing. But if we have the trust, we will have the triumph that Abraham had. Brother Ben, I'm looking forward to your sermon next week, young man. And you're not much younger than me, but I can say that once and for all. Next week, you will hear what the ultimate trust in God does, not only in this life, but for the life to come. Let's close in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for the reality of the the faith that Abraham had. Father, we are not here to say, be like Abraham. We don't want to be just moralistic in our preaching. Because Abraham was more than just a good guy who followed Uh, you, Lord, in a good way. He was a guy, a sinner just like us, beset by weaknesses just like us, the chief of sinners, as Paul would say, just like us, each individually. But Lord, by your grace and your spirit, he lived a life that seemingly transcended this world in situations that for most of us, myself included, would really test whether we are really in this thing called the Christian life. But, Father, through all that, we don't immortalize Abraham or venerate him. We just thank you that despite his sinfulness, his lack of trust at times, that when we truly seek your will, it is the greatest thing for us, is the greatest truth for us. And that starts, Lord, with trusting that your son is who he said he was. And for most of us in this room, that's the moment in time when we repented of our sins and trusted that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God and that He alone can save us. But Father, just like Abraham, we walk through that school of faith with unannounced trials, unannounced exams. But Lord, thank You that by Your grace, You use grace as a tool by Your Spirit to shape us, to mold us, and to push us along, as it were, at times, to greater and deeper faith in You. Not just to be selfish with our faith, to say, hey, look at what God has done in me. We praise You for that but to share with the world the greatest news, that there is one born 
of a virgin under the law who came at just the right time to die for sinners such as us so that we too, as Galatians says, might be sons and daughters of God. Lord, we love you. Give us wisdom now. Thank you for these last songs, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.